This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by DoorDash, Pepsi, Bet Online, and Regions Field. Go check all of them out. Very grateful to have them as sponsors for the show. So much like last Tuesday where we kind of went a little bit away from football, we're going to do that again today because Major League Baseball playoffs start today, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast one or two times before, but one of my closest friends in the business and also one of my closest friends, period, is ESPN baseball analyst Jeff Passan. So wanted to take this opportunity with the playoffs starting today to have him on the show. We talk a little bit about his Browns fandom. He grew up in Cleveland, but we talk a lot about baseball. We talk a little bit about COVID, and I think there are some parallels there between the NFL and Major League Baseball, and we talk about why baseball isn't as popular as the NFL and why some of their stars or theoretical stars just can't kind of end up being stars in the zeitgeist like the NFL. So it's a little bit of NFL Major League Baseball crossover conversation, and I'm very grateful that Jeff was finally willing to come on the show, as you'll hear at the top. I've been pestering him for a while, but... As I told him, that's just kind of sometimes how it goes when you're friends with somebody. So before we get into that, just want to hit on a couple of Lions things. Matt Patricia talked today, and one of the main things he was asked was whether he felt relief of all the conversations around his job and what could happen in the future with him by beating the Cardinals. He said that quote, I don't ride the roller coaster, and that he went on to explain that it's not really his focus and that he's focused on trying to get the players better. Basically, everything you would expect a coach to say reminded me a lot of what Jim Caldwell would say when he would get continuous questions about being on the hot seat, which seemingly was the last four years of his tenure with the Lions in, or sorry, the last three years of his tenure with the Lions in 15, 16, and 17. And while Patricia used different words and kind of different explanations, the the thought process seems to be the same, which is they're focused on their job and that's where they're going to be. Other than that, no real big news out of the Lions on Monday, at least as of 7 p.m. J. Ron Curse is eligible to come off of the suspended list at this point, and they have a roster exemption, I believe, for a week to work with him, then they'll have to make some sort of move if they want him on the roster. And 
based off of what they paid him in free agency and where he was playing when he was suspended, one would think that he could end up being on the roster. Now, of course, the Lions would have to make a roster move to make some room for him. Also, a couple of guys are eligible to come off of injured reserve if they're available and ready. That would include Mike Ford and Bo Scarborough, both of whom could theoretically come back from IR at this point, although there's been no indication that either one of them is close, but that's something else to monitor this week. There's going to be a lot of Lions talk this week as they get ready to play the Saints, but before that, on this Tuesday, we're going to get a little bit into baseball, and like I said, a little bit into the NFL with Jeff Passan of ESPN, right after this break. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, code is BLUEWIRE, $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And... Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how much you watch. And if you watch the Detroit Lions on Sunday, you saw their first win in 11 months. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, and if you've watched the Lions over the last year, you've probably needed a lot of it, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. And the wait is finally over, football is back, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein Show does not cover football. However, we met because he did way back in college. He is ESPN's national baseball writer. He is a national baseball analyst. He's a national baseball reporter. He is one of my closest friends. And for some reason, he decided to actually do this podcast. Jeff Passan, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you coming on. For some reason, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Could that reason be because you've been asking me for a year incessantly have been bugging me nonstop, 
have not slouched one bit in terms of your pursuit of my appearance on this. And finally, just as a means of making sure that my phone did not have unanswered text messages on it continuously, I said yes. That is only half true. <laughs> that there's no half truth in there. That is 100% accurate, every single piece of that. Well, I would just say persistence is one of probably my better qualities as a reporter, so. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm just I'm still waiting for the half truth there. All right. You do also you do also realize that by inviting me here, you did open yourself up to a number of things that are going to continuously crop up in this podcast, right? Probably. And the beauty of it is I also am the editor of this podcast, so that helps. You would not edit out any reference to slouching, would you? Oh no, not at all. Okay. I mean that I all make right. I make jokes out of it all the time. No, we're good. <laughs> the fact the fact the fact that this is not called the slouch cast is is really like a like a missed opportunity in branding. You needed to like embrace that thing. Right now, you are kind of slouching a little bit actually. I am I will say this, that has been for me one of the biggest problems in COVID is I don't like my office setup isn't great. So I work a lot in my living room where it's couches and therefore it completely messes with my posture. So actually my posture is pretty terrible right now. Uh, all in all, it, it kind of sucks. Matt Patricia would not be proud. No, it, it probably would not. I, he has not, you know, it's, it hasn't come up. Zoom calls have kind of, you know, I, I, I angle it a certain way so you can't see exactly how I'm sitting <laughs> in <between> my face. <laughs> Do you really angle your computer so it doesn't look like you're slouching? No, I don't actually do that. It just, happens, it just happens to be the angle of where I sit for, for some of the Zoom calls that you really can't tell, thankfully. All right. But no, you know, well, hopefully my back will, will not regret this past six, eight months down the road. So you are in your house. You are not at a ballpark. And let's start there as baseball playoffs start today, Tuesday. What's that like for you? Because this is probably the first time in a long time you're not on the road today, tomorrow, for the next three weeks. Uh, it's I, I think it might be the first time ever the playoffs have not been going on where I haven't, or the playoffs have been going on where I haven't been at a game. And it's, uh, it's going to be interesting because I, I don't get to be a fan because I'm going to be working and going to be jumping on TV all day. And uh, it's going to be a very busy next few days for, for ESPN and for baseball fans. But it's also, I think, going to be really interesting because it's not like being at the ballpark is enormously advantageous as it has been in the past. Uh, we don't get access to players there. Um, you know, we're, we're still either in the press box or spread out, uh, and socially distanced in the stands. And so being at the ballpark, the, the beauty of it in, in normal years is that you get to see people, you get to talk with them, you get to discuss the game, you get to discuss everything really sources are there uh, and you get to meet up with people you haven't seen in a while. Like I get as much good work done pregame during a playoff game as I do during the game and post game. Uh, that's just not a reality, but 
there's also something just about being at games. That's why I'm going to be going down to Texas for the division series. I'm going to be staying there throughout the whole playoffs and through the World Series because, uh, you know, this is playoff baseball. It matters. It counts. It's all going toward uh, a championship and getting to see those sorts of things in person. Uh, even if you don't have the same amount of access to players and coaches as you would have in the past is still, to me at least, uh, a really important thing. It's interesting you mention that because we've seen the bubble atmospheres of the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs. And as great as some of those games have been, it still feels like there's something missing. I'm thinking that might even be more so in baseball where the pace is not the same as hockey or basketball. And there is so much tied between being at a ball game. Well, well let, me, let, me, let, me ask, let me ask you this. What do you, what do you feel like has been missing? It's fun. I don't necessarily think in the regular season. I think in the postseason where every game's sold out, where there's a lot more just noise. There's a lot more chatter. There's all of that. Like I, the playoff games I've been to as a fan, mostly have been Mets games, so few and far between. However, when I've been to them, there's just something electric and magical about that. And it's, I think it's similar probably to the NFL, again, covering the Lions, been to playoff games few and far between. But there seems to be something different there that might be that, especially because it's in bigger ballparks that might still be missing. And I'm just wondering whether you think that that's going to be a little bit of a difference where maybe that energy is not the same where it would ratchet up normally for the postseason. I think they're used to it by now, though. I think it's just a really uh, weird and um, it almost feels like like hospital like environment at baseball games now um, where it's just been sanitized. Uh, and, and I don't think it's writ large affected the quality of games necessarily, but I know with certain players that they just feed off the energy of crowds and, and have been affected negatively by this. I also think that there are some players who, who sometimes are, are so deep in their head that, uh, it's almost serene the way that it is, and probably have been better because of it. And as a as a fan of of live sports, I go to these games, and it just feels weird. It's just it's just weird being at a game where nobody's there, and and knowing that if someone says something in one dugout. Uh, the people in the other dugout hear it and and hearing you know pitchers get angry at themselves for for bad pitches all these things that you might not have heard otherwise but uh, it gives me a greater appreciation for fans being there and for how much of an important part they are of the fabric to to these sports that we love like you know you can pipe in crowd noise all you want and try to make it sound normal but if the people aren't there saying what they're saying, yelling how they're yelling, it's a, it's a completely different environment and one that I will not miss when it's gone. Kind of following up with that, as the playoffs get later on, and maybe you saw some even penance when guys won penance, that's still maybe a little bit weird because when you, like, when you see a team win the ALCS or the NLCS, that energy in the stadium is just electric and then for the world series itself like a team's going to win a world series championship and going to be like you're going to hear them cheering and that's about it like that's 
that's got to be like for at the end point, maybe the weirdest part of all of this, right? Well, part of having the World Series in Texas this year is that uh, the government down there is certainly not opposed to the idea of having fans in stadiums. So it would not surprise me to see Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas, filled to quarter capacity, for example. I think there are going to be plenty of fans, depending on which team makes it, uh, that want to make the trip to Texas and are going to show up and see baseball live and, and be among the few who do get to see it live for the first time this year. So I don't think it's going to be a, a completely quiet environment. But, you know, the difference between 10,000 fans and, and 40,000 fans yelling is, is going to be something. And uh, it's it's also the difference between zero fans and 10,000. And I think I'll take the 10,000 if, if that's the choice. It's interesting you mention that because Matt Patric- the, the Cardinals had some fans in Arizona on Sunday. And I think there was, for the people that were there, I think like 700, maybe 1,000, whatever it was. And Matt Patricia even said on Monday that he could hear some of them. And that's like 700 people. So it might actually work from that aspect. But – I don't know. It still is going to feel, I think, a lot different. Are you are you surprised that after the way that things started for baseball that you're even at this point? Yes. I mean, after the outbreaks on the Marlins and Cardinals, I didn't think that the season was doomed. I just thought it was going to be, uh, honestly, so perilous to get through that at some point someone was going to throw up his hands, whether it's Rob Manfred, whether it's a star player and say, just, you know, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. And nobody did that. Like they were, they were committed to the idea that baseball was going to finish the season and they brute forced this thing through the regular season in part, I think, because they understood that if you play the playoffs, that's a billion dollars in television revenue alone. Um, and, and beyond that, I think the players looked at it like, hey, we have a chance to, to win a championship this year. We're going to try and do that. And, oh, if we complete a postseason, there's $50 million that they're going to be splitting up among players. So there were, there were financial incentives for both sides. There were aspirational incentives for both sides. And in the end, the, the chance to win one of those very shiny rings uh, is, is maybe the best incentive of all. You mentioned money. Money drives all. Do you think that this, how much do you think this is going to affect negotiations as they have to come up here again shortly for longer term deals? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I, think reg- I think regardless, regardless, it was going to be contentious. And uh, I mean, I think there's like an axiom uh, that we can all agree with, which is COVID complicates everything. And it's certainly going to add to the uh, strenuousness of, of these discussions. And at the same time, part of me wonders if both players and ownership look at this year, see the amount of time they missed, and, and say to one another, uh, we can't afford to have something like this happen again. A lockout is not going to work. Um, a, uh, a strike is, is not prudent. Uh, labor stoppage right now after more than a quarter century of peace uh, is is antithetical to what we're trying to build for the future. And, and that's the whole, uh, the whole idea behind this. How do we build baseball into a better game that more people love and want to watch and participate in? And that's something, honestly, that baseball has struggled with for a while now. And, and I, I'm not going to say that 
this this winter when the collective bargaining agreement uh, is a year from expiring is is going to be the most consequential um, winter in you know in decades. But uh, if they don't start making movement on on getting an agreement together that fundamentally changes the way that baseball operates and and places it in a position to be a more forward thinking and and forward acting sport it's just going to get left behind and i think the the smart people in the sport on both sides recognize that is that something that you think maybe they would they consider shortening the season at this point do you think that what happened this year would maybe be an impetus of saying hey listen this worked somehow some way so maybe 162 is not the way to go or is that do you think not off the, not on the table at all we go back to what you said earlier about money being all that matters every game that gets shaved off the schedule is revenue lost for teams and so uh if they can make it up somehow uh, in a in a reasonable fashion then i suppose that's a possibility but you know the the contracts that they've signed for their postseason television rights are are not uh, they're not dependent on a longer, shorter season. They're just for the postseason. And right now, if they can have that and 162 games, uh, the notion of them taking away money from their coffers just doesn't seem very realistic. You mentioned- even if, even if, even if it would be beneficial too. And and I think that you know, I, I think there are a lot of arguments to be made in favor of a shorter season and and the benefits that it could have, but. What are you going to do? Are you going to take away eight games and go back to 154? Are you going to take away 18 and go down to 144? Are you going to take away 32 and get to 130? What's the sweet spot? What's the right number? And if you're going to take away only eight, what are the benefits of that? I, I mean, I think the benefits in that case are just giving players more time to to rest and, and recuperate from the grind of a long season. And if the argument in favor of shortening a season by that little amount is players need time to feel better, uh, you're not going to see any owners uh, telling them that that's okay. They'll say, we'll buy you more Band-Aids and Toradol, uh, you know, shake it off. I mean, you say that, right? But isn't some of it too just inventory? I mean, maybe it's because I live in – Ann Arbor and the Tigers have not been good for a while, but you, how often do you go to games and that stadium's got a fifth full, a quarter full? Yeah. If it, here's the thing, though, I don't think that I don't think that taking off less than five percent of the games is, is going to change the um, the scarcity factor. I, I think that's you know, in in a sport that plays 162, you just can't really get scarce. That, that's just not a – it's not a reality. It, only if you shorten the season to something like 60 games. And even at that point, uh, you know, are they going to be able to charge twice as much? Uh, and are fans going to be willing to pay that for tickets? No. I, I just – I think baseball is a volume game, and, and that's where the revenues are generated. It's the fact that over the course of any given season, if you're a regional sports network or a television provider, then – you know that for uh, you know six straight months, you're going to have between the game, the pregame, and the postgame between four and five hours of live content every night. And and there's a lot to be said for the value of that. That's why the Dodgers TV deals eight billion dollars. That's why other organizations get multi-billion dollar deals. That's why teams in small markets uh, can get fifty to a hundred million dollars a year just for local TV rights alone. Like there's, there's absolutely value 
to having that knowledge that every single night you're going to have a product to put on TV. This might, this kind of wraps into all this, I think, but like, it feels like to me, major league baseball, other than Tatis, who you wrote about, I guess it was what, two months ago now, three months, however, however long ago it was that you wrote about Tatis. It seems like I don't even know anymore. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like there's a lack of like, zeitgeist marketable stars or is that just me being in an nfl and ufc bubble or do they have a problem still with that you know where it's different than 15 20 years ago where you had guys that i think everybody knew and they could market with nfl stars and nba stars and some of the other bigger names out there yeah i i think that if you look at the nba it is the star making league That's just individuals can take over NBA games unlike they can in any other sport. In the NFL, you have 32 people whose names everyone knows uh, instantaneously, which are the quarterbacks of the teams. And, you know, there there are guys who uh, either because of their excellence or their personality make their way to the forefront. But the NFL is the most popular game in America, and it's got the perfect feeder system in college sports. So, you know, you build these guys up in college, they come to the NFL, automatically they can be stars. Baseball doesn't have either of those things going for it. I mean, baseball is like, what's the best way to put this? Baseball, I think because of how it it has chosen to market itself, which is in a lot of ways... Uh, done through players who don't want to be individuals and and it's taught inside of the sport that you're not going to to be any bigger than the game. Uh, I think it really at an early age instills in players that uh, the game is bigger than you and so subvert yourself to it. And, and that's not, it's not a way to make stars. And th- there needs, there needs to be some agency among players uh, to take it upon themselves to do that. And I think they they all understand that that's a difficult thing to do, right? Like it takes time to build a brand and, and to make yourself, uh, you know, likable beyond that core fan base that you have. Uh, in the NFL, people are fans of players from every team because of fantasy. Uh, in the NBA, people are fans of players uh, from not every team, but uh, from stars uh, because they are clearly so enjoyable to watch and they are the center of everything. In baseball, you don't have that. So if you're going to curate a brand, you got to take a lot of time to do so, and that's time that a lot of baseball players would rather spend in the cages or uh, making new pitches or, or trying to figure out how to get even better at this extremely difficult game. Do you think Tatis maybe gets it, though? I mean, you spend a lot of time with him. Like, do you think that he's a guy that can maybe break through? Because he certainly seems to have the personality and the excitement level for it that you don't see. He, yeah, he does. But I think it's an it takes an everyday effort for baseball players to do that. I mean, Tatis earlier in the season was great, and he was playing at an MVP level. Uh, how much have you heard about him over the last month? Right. None. None because he wasn't very good and because he's not out there every day doing this sort of thing. I think Trevor Bauer is probably the best example in baseball. And uh, I don't know how 
widely known he is outside of baseball circles or how much football fans necessarily know about him, but he takes time. You know, he he's very active on social media. He does a vlog. He, uh, you know, he chronicles his life. He takes you inside places where you wouldn't know otherwise. He's not afraid to piss people off. Uh, he, he goes after, uh, you know, big names, whether it's the commissioner, Scott Boris, like there, there are things that he does. He knows how to play the game uh, and wants to. That desire, though, I just don't find in many other baseball players. They're happy to just do their thing and be great baseball players and end it at that. Do you think that maybe the next generation will get that? Because the next generation will be really that for one and a half version of like, I grew up on Instagram where, you know, even like the players in their prime now just, it seemed like missed that. Yeah. I think that's actually like a very reasonable argument to make. Um, especially cause this generation's growing up with guys bat flipping and, and with guys doing things that the previous generation didn't. So, maybe they're going to see it's okay, but are they going to have to crank it up to like, you know, uh, to like 11 uh, in order to uh, overcome the inherent disadvantages that there are in being a baseball player in the national consciousness. And I, I say this acknowledging, I think there's a, I think there's a pretty passionate segment of young baseball fans out there. I think that like they, they may have skipped a generation or just lost a generation really. And that, uh, you know, the, the, the 12 to 18s right now are are pretty into baseball and see like the beauty of a lot of it. But uh, it's, it's going to be a, it's once you go down that hole, it's a hard thing to rescue yourself from. And baseball's pretty far down that hole right now. And uh, is just trying to crawl its way out. Can this playoff time help that you think, because they're starting just as the NBA is winding down just as uh-huh. Stanley Cup is very much winding down, the NFL hit the doldrums and college football is who, who knows what that's going to look like from week to week. Can they take advantage of this year specifically because there was such a void in sports for so long? Is this a spot where they can really capitalize? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'd, I'd love to believe that that's the case, but I don't know that the, that anything is unique about, this year that's going to draw fans in droves. I mean, let's remember over the last like 15 years, we've seen the Boston Red Sox win the world series. We've seen the Chicago Cubs win the world series. Um, you know, we we've seen the Astros in, in the scandal that they, they started. We've, uh, we've seen a lot of like interesting sort of unique moments and none of those has really rallied the troops. And it, it, I mean, let's look at the Dodgers, for example. I think they're going to win the World Series this year. It would be the first time in 32 years for them to do so. And and what's the what's the narrative going to be that they have like a 200 million dollar juggernaut, or <laughs> that they're that they're really fun to watch and exciting and have great talent and embody a lot of the things that are good about baseball these days. I I don't know the answer to that, but to me, it's almost like, is there a national story that will pull non fans back into being fans? I I don't know. I really don't. And uh, I, I will be curious to see what television, I know television ratings are far from the be all end all, 
the TV ratings outside of local markets. That's what I want to know because uh, my my theory, and, and I think it's backed up by a lot of evidence, is that baseball has turned into a local game. And that is many good national things as there are and, and should be that people uh, should and can appreciate. Uh, in too many cases, they don't. It's interesting you mention that because the way that you look at it now, there are so many teams that will start off a baseball season basically knowing they're not going to get very far, barring some sort of miracle. In the NFL, you don't have that, even to an extent other than maybe like the bottom five or six teams, I think. In the NBA, you don't have that, at least being able to maybe get to that eighth seed. Uh, I, I, I think you're in the NFL. But do you think? Yeah, I think I think the I think the I think the premise is a little wrong here, though. I mean, I don't know that I anyone would have thought the Miami Marlins are going to make the playoffs this year. The San Diego Padres are going to be as good as they are. That the the Cardinals were going to lose 13 players in the middle of the season because of COVID and be able to come back, or that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to play their season in Buffalo and make the playoffs, like. Uh, it's baseball is not as chalk of a sport as its reputation has. The New York Yankees haven't been to the World Series if they don't go this year in 11 years. That's the second longest drought in franchise history. Um, I mean, who was the last repeat champion in baseball? I actually don't know the answer to that question. You know I don't know it. <laughs> yeah, the answer is the Yankees, like at the turn of the century. It's been two decades since you've had a repeat champion. So uh, I, I, I'm not saying that baseball has the parity that it necessarily can or should. What I'm saying is that its reputation as being a sport for Giants only, just is not realistic. Top four seeds in the in the American League this year are Tampa Bay, um, Oakland, Minnesota, and Cleveland. That does not sound like a juggernauty sport. That's fair. No, that that is absolutely fair, and that you probably there there maybe is more parity, I think, than people realize. But I would say, that, as you said, the general consensus is that people still think of it as a chalk sport because they see the massive payrolls and other teams like the smaller mm -hmm. markets that can't have it. Why the Dodgers in your estimation? Uh, I think they're extremely talented. Uh, I think they are built for October and I think they got a really favorable first round matchup and the wild card series is what always scared them for me because the, the Dodgers are – they're not just like a top-heavy team that have stars. You know, it's not just Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger and Clayton Kershaw and Walker Buehler and guys of that ilk. They're, they are just extraordinarily deep. And that behooves you in longer series. You know, the, the longer that you can play, the, the more representative talent tends to be. Uh, you know, the, the ills of like a three-game series. In baseball, the worst team can beat – the best team in a three-game series. You're not going to see that in basketball. You usually would not see like that in football. In baseball, uh, you know, the vagaries of the game are, are such that short series are minefields. And it just so happens that the Milwaukee Brewers, who uh, the Dodgers are going to be facing in the first round, lost their best pitcher, Corbin Burns, to an oblique injury. And uh, that's the sort of thing that Whereas a, a three-game series against the Brewers would have been really tough beforehand, it's going to be a lot easier with Burns not in there. So I think once they get past that, 
they're gonna, you know, the the they have to face either um, San Diego or St. Louis in the division series. And San Diego could be a tough matchup, but again, we don't know the status of Mike Clevenger, who's arguably their best pitcher. Um, and so it just seems to be lining up for the Dodgers to, to make this run. And after losing World Series to the Astros and the Red Sox in back-to-back years in which both teams uh, were disciplined from Major League Baseball for uh, using technology in an illicit way, uh, the Dodgers feel like it's their time, and I tend to agree. Technology in an illicit way. <laughs> That's a great turn of phrase. Like, when you were covering that story, let's kind of transition there a little bit as you swallow water. What was the thing that surprised you the most as you're uncovering these things, as you're learning these things, as you're talking to people, that you were just like, well, I can't actually believe they really did that. I, I don't think that I ever saw something that that the Astros in particular did where I said, I can't believe they actually did that because the Astros had the reputation for, for a long time about pushing things to the absolute edge. And typically, uh, and this is just a, a life thing, if you know someone who pushes something to the edge, it's really difficult to go to the precipice and not go over. And so, uh, because of that, when you know the the whole story came out about the depths of what they'd done, um, it it didn't surprise me. I mean, I remember I was I was there in the clubhouse the night that their assistant general manager was was bragging about trading for Roberto Osuna, uh, who allegedly uh, had had abused a woman, uh, and and essentially said, "Take that." to a group of female reporters. If, if that's the sort of behavior that somebody that high up in the organization is going to have, it says something about the culture there. And if you have cultural issues, then uh, things like this are, are bound to fester and, and to become a reality. I'm not saying that bad culture leads to cheating. I'm saying that bad culture would accept cheating. And that's exactly what, what the Astros did. They, they cheated. And uh, they, they ended up getting a World Series out of it. Uh, I, I can't sit here and say that they would not have won uh, had they not cheated. I think they were an extraordinarily talented team. And it reminds me a lot, honestly, of Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds didn't need to use steroids to become the best hitter in baseball. He just chose to do that in addition to what he already had there. The Astros did not need to bang on trash cans to win baseball games. They just chose to do so to supplement what was already there. What do you think was the best baseball story you've ever covered? They, that you said, yeah, I'm going to remember that. I mean, I was there when the Red Sox won for the first time in 86 years. I was there for when, you know, when the Cubs won for the first time in a century. Um, so I've seen some pretty historic moments. And those, I think, are the two that probably stand out the most. Just, just knowing that generations of people were waiting 
for both of those moments. And in the Cubs case, you know, literal lifetimes went by where fans did not see them win a championship. Uh, and, and to know that, you know, those demons had been exercised. Remember, I grew up in Cleveland, so I know what droughts are like. And I, the, I mean, the Indians is still going on, you know, it's been 72 years since they've won a championship and they've, they've got a team this year that in a wide open American league, I'm not going to say has as good a shot as any, but certainly has a shot to do so. And uh, they, they've had at times back in the nineties, especially when I was growing up, some of the most talented teams I've ever seen. I mean, Kenny Lofton, Carlos Baerga, Albert Bell, Manny Ramirez, and Jim Tomey at the top of a lineup. Like, that's a, that's a joke. And, and yet those teams didn't even win championships. So if, you know, if, if you are a fan and you get to experience something like that after waiting as long as you did, I don't know if it makes it worth it because I don't root anymore. And I don't root not because I'm – a journalist, I stopped rooting because it hurt too much. And I've got enough stress in my life right now where I do not need to sit here and get my heart broken by sports. I can appreciate sports without being a fan of a particular team. And I, I sit here and uh, I, I feel bad for, you know, 31 fan bases a year in football, for 29 fan bases a year in baseball, for uh, all those in, in hockey and uh, in, in basketball and in college football who don't get to experience that apex of joy that comes with winning a championship. Uh, in fact, when, when your team doesn't, it, it almost always feels like a gut punch. And I respect fans for their willingness to year after year after year, take those gut punches and come back for more. Uh, I, I, like, as, as I grew older, I started asking myself, why do you subject yourself to this? Why, like, there's enough stress in life. Do you really need to? And, and I started appreciating games more for what they give me rather than what they don't. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember, I remember specifically sitting with you in Fresno watching the Browns play on an NFL Sunday and that being a rough experience for you we were what 21 at, or no we were probably 22 at that point yep with a bottle of bombay sapphire but you know whatever that was my choice back then uh, uh what were you doing oh that's right you were in victorville weren't you i was in victorville yeah i was in victorville when you were in fresno oh my god <laughs> i i vaguely didn't you like wasn't there a shooting in Fresno? Yeah, there was. I was driving to meet you at a bar. And yes. I, I was driving up from Victorville to Fresno, which is not a short drive. And I had just gotten there, and you were like, come meet me at this bar. So I go to meet you at the bar. And this is like back in 2002, 2003. So yeah. cell phones weren't exactly great then. And you kept like calling the cell phone I had, being like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And I'm like, I don't know I'm stuck. And I was stuck for like a half hour because there was a shooting like <laughs> right in front of me in Fresno. And I finally got to the bar and we figured out, again, didn't really have the internet. I forgot how we found out. I think you might have even gotten a call or called somebody at, at the B at that point and like found out there was, or the next day, found out there was like a shooting basically like right in the road where I, where I was driving. 
20 minutes before. Yes. But yeah, oh man, those were the days. <laughs> what, like, was, when did you realize you didn't want, because I know for me when I realized I didn't necessarily think I should be, a, not that fandom was gone for me for, in, a, in a large way. Um, when did you realize that for you? I can't pinpoint a time. I think it might have been when I had kids and just didn't have the time to care anymore. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when, you know, when you realize that they're just like, you got to reprioritize things. And in the reprioritization, it was like, can I sit here and worry about how the Browns are going to suck this year? No, it's just, it's not, it's not worth it anymore. It's not worth the time. I'll sit here and I will, I will root for them uh, insofar as I want my friends and family to be happy. And my friends and family are happier if the Browns are good. Your friends and family have not been happy for a long time. <laughs> no, they have not. I mean, it's the, same, well, it's the same thing with my, you know my dad pretty well. It's the same thing with the Mets. I have a, I have a little bit. I, by the way, I have a bone to pick with your father. Okay. <laughs> your father's continuous criticism of my ties really needs to stop your dad has your dad has your dad has awful ties they are awful they are they are like four or five inch wide ties that are straight from the 1980s and ending like at the mid 90s and he's sitting here ripping on my ties and i listen if I had bad ties, I, I'm not. I'm not saying this like in a bragging kind of way or anything like that. All of America sees my ties, and if I had terrible ties, I would get criticized constantly and regularly for them. I don't. The only person who comes after my ties is Ira Rothstein. That's it. And so, Ira, I know you listen to this. I know you're the only regular listener of the Roth Show. <laughs> Save it with the ties, Ira. I'm done. No more of that. Now, I will defend my dad only insofar... Because he's your dad. No. False. I will only defend him insofar as the last time he had to regularly wear a tie was probably 1987. So his That's fine. That's fine. His fashion but, but, sense is stuck there. You have seen a picture of him. He looks like he's from 1968. Like... That's just where he is <laughs> in that world. I do not agree with him. I think your ties are fine. I, I just get a kick out of it because I know it bothers you. <laughs> it doesn't even bother me. I just felt like if, the, if, there, were, if there were like a Rothstein Festivus, this was going to be it. <laughs> That's a very fair airing of grievances. And I, I, you will listen to this. Now, to be honest, he might not even make it this far in this podcast. Let's just be honest. But he will. Ira, Ira, Ira loves me. He'll listen to every word of this. <laughs> he does. I think he loves you more than me sometimes. Uh, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's entirely possible, especially after, you know, he, he beat me at golf the last four days. And that was, uh, you know, he talked a little bit of trash along the way. It was, it was very sad. But anyway... <laughs> Jeff, thank you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. And I know that I will not bother you about coming on the show ever again. Rustin, 
all I have to say is it, and the emphasis on it, was my pleasure. I want to thank my guest, Jeff Passan of ESPN. Jeff is the main reason or one of the main reasons I am in journalism. He is the person who kind of got me into this back when we were at college. I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but I was playing in a video game tournament at Syracuse. It was NCAA basketball, whatever video game that was for EA at the time. And Jeff had gone there to write a story about it. For a class, I won both tournaments and Jeff and I got to talking and I had gone down to the Daily Orange to write as a freshman. It just didn't really click for me at that point. And this was again as a sophomore and Jeff was like, hey, come down. We're always looking for writers. So I said, "Okay." I did. I spent more time with Jeff. I spent more time with a previous guest on this show, Greg Bishop, and a guy named Dave Curtis, who's out of the business now. And the three of them basically were the reason that I started working at the DO again and I started writing some lacrosse stories and really at that point Jeff, Greg and myself and another guy named Eric Nathan all became really good friends. We all worked at the Daily Orange together and that was about 21 years ago at this point or something close to that which actually no maybe more like 19 years ago somewhere in there somewhere between 19 and 21 years ago a long time and Jeff and I have been friends ever since and I'm so grateful for his friendship and if you haven't read him check him out at Jeff Passon on Twitter he's highly entertaining the one thing I didn't get him to do was his Elmo impersonation which is spot on and like I said you should follow him throughout the baseball playoffs if you don't know who he is already you'll probably see him on TV a whole bunch as well you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein on Facebook at Michael Rothstein journalist we'll get back to talking a whole bunch of football here tomorrow right here on the Michael Rothstein Show.